Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are giving them a big, beautiful Christmas present in the form of a tremendous tax cut. I am for the largest possible tax cut that they can pass. Do you know who's going to make the most money out of this? It's projected to be Wells Fargo. It'll be a big event. It'll be the biggest tax event in the history of our country. Let's face it. This is a tax proposal that is just a payoff to rich donors to the Republican Party. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. My name is Jamel Bowie. I'm Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's episode. Neither President Trump nor congressional Republicans have accomplished much this year. They didn't work on infrastructure, couldn't repeal Obamacare, and have been consumed with scandals and controversies. But the year isn't over yet, and Republicans are using these last two months to craft and pass tax reform. Built around large tax cuts for corporations and high-income individuals, it contains significant changes to the tax code that touch millions of Americans and could prompt serious opposition from unexpected sources. President Trump says he's happy with the bill, calling it a beautiful Christmas present. But the public isn't so thrilled. Just 25% of Americans support Republican plans for tax reform, while 35% say it is a bad idea and 40% have no opinion. This proposal, in other words starts with the worst public opinion landscape since President George W. Bush's push for Social Security reform. As omens go, that's a pretty bad one. To talk more about the Republican tax plan, we have Slate's senior economics correspondent, Jordan Weissman. But first, we have to pay the bills. To talk about President Trump and the congressional Republicans' attempt to reform the tax code, we have Slate's chief economics correspondent, Jordan Weissman. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to TrumpCast. Hey, Jamel. Thanks for having me on. There's a lot of news happening this week. There are always a lot of news. But one thing that is breaking through all the noise is the fact that congressional Republicans, or at least the House, have put out a framework for um, tax reform, an actual set of policies that we can uh, evaluate. So um, I've been following this sort of like somewhat, but I know you've been following it very closely. So could you just first give us a quick rundown of what are the major things Republicans are proposing? Yeah. So the simplest way to think about this, it's a massive business tax cut, right? That That's really what the Republicans are aiming for here. It's a huge cut for corporate taxes and other large businesses. It would lower the top corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%. It would uh, lower the taxes that are significantly lower the taxes that corporations have to pay on their overseas profits to just about nothing, realistically, at least compared to what they pay now. You know, there, there's, there are special carve-outs for companies like the Trump Organization um, that will you know, 
probably benefit pretty greatly from this. You you can go on and on down the list. And then obviously um, on the individual side, there are some tax cuts. Uh, it, they're actually kind of complicated. People are still wrapping their heads around exactly how this thing is going to work for everybody. And, you know, that's like the one thing that this tax bill does not do. Um, you know, you, you heard during the campaign all that talk about filing your taxes on like a postcard, right? Like it was going to simplify. Right. It was going to be so easy. If I, that, no, <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not happening. There are no postcards in this tax bill. Right. I, from what I understand, some of the ways that Republicans have proposed paying for this, and I know one of them was dropped, was a cap on deductible 401k contributions, which, as far as I understand, they have abandoned. Yeah. They've capped the limit for the mortgage interest deduction. Mm -hmm. uh, they've capped the amount of property taxes that you can deduct from your federal tax bill. And I can't... What what else is there? I mean, they've, they're, they're also... Uh, no longer going to allow you to deduct your state and local income taxes or sales taxes. There are all sorts of things. Medical expenses, you won't be able to deduct anymore. More uh, student loan interest, you won't be able to deduct anymore. Uh, you know, there there's a laundry list. Um, it's uh, there, there's a lot of this stuff, but. Some of them are deductions that wealthier households tend to use, um, but still are going to tick a lot of people off. And, uh, you know, I wrote about today, it's actually interestingly setting up a, a huge confrontation with the whole housing industry. I mean, that's, I think, going to be a central battle over this tax bill. Um, if you want me to get into that, I can. But No, I, I, I would, because what, what's, so what's so interesting about these proposed um, eliminations is that I know for a fact that uh, progressive policymakers for a long time have called for limiting the mortgage interest deduction. And here, Republicans are proposing it, but they're doing it to recoup the cost of sort of major corporate and upper income tax cuts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing with, with the tax code, right? Like, you can only judge a change to the tax code based on what it's paying for. Right. If you're hiking taxes, what is that tax hike going to pay for? If you are cutting a tax or you're cutting a tax break, what is that going to pay for? If, if you were eliminating the mortgage interest deduction or, or curtailing it severely in order to pay for um, a more Section 8 housing vouchers to help the poor to actually have public access to publicly subsidized housing, that would be one thing. But that's that's not what is going on here. And so there's this theory that you see people like Josh Barrow at Business Insider kind of pushing, which is that Democrats shouldn't be too upset about this because, you know, the, the, the liberal policy agenda requires in the end is probably going to require some tax hikes on the middle class. Republicans are passing those tax hikes now. Later on, Democrats can can hike taxes on the rich and the Republicans will have done our dirty work for us or will have done their work, dirty work for them. I'm a little skeptical of that take. <laughs> it's like right. it's making a lot of assumptions. And so... Yeah, it's it's this, you know, the situation where some things that are individually might not be terrible on their own are kind of being used for not so great cause. And what I was saying about the housing market, it's interesting, is that a lot of these cuts to things they're doing to the mortgage interest deduction, changes they are making elsewhere in the code are probably going to drag down housing prices. Um, that's just because the mortgage interest deduction is baked into your the, the value of your home if you own. And that already has sort of enraged the home builders and the uh, realtors of America who have already come out against this bill. And they are already pushing it as a conflict between corporations and homeowners you know, who don't want to see right. their home equity disappear. And so I think that's really I, I'm really and, you know, that's an extension of how I think you know, more broadly, this could play out even because the Democrats have, are looking for any places where middle class families could see an income tax hike because of some ways that the deductions are getting played with and changed. So, you know, this is this is going to be the the back and forth you hear is like, you know, is this is this a tax hike 
for the middle class? Is this something that's going to make the middle class suffer? And is it just going to pay for corporate cuts? Given the shape of the bill that we have so far or the proposal we have, what do you think are its odds for getting out of uh, getting out of the Republican Congress or just the House at least? The conflict with the builders and with realtors seems to suggest that this is going to actually have a very hard time um, surviving in its current form. But I'm not I'm not actually entirely sure about that because Republicans do seem very committed to passing something. Yeah. So in in my mind, there's a real analogy with the Obamacare appeal battle, right? Uh, where you had a bill that every industry group opposed. Right. <laughs> every every and Republicans still tried their damnedest to pass it. And the reason it didn't pass in the end had as much to do with the you know personality course of John McCain as it did the actual content of the bill. Here you have a bill that you're going to have some very powerful interest groups opposing. So the question then is, will Republicans care? Right. Like, do right. they give a damn or are they just going to feel like they have to pass something? The thing is that right now there is this contingent of northeastern Republicans, the New York, New Jersey, like Connecticut faction, also um, Californians who come from these high uh, local tax states and also high home value states who I think are going to be feeling a lot of trepidation because while some of their very wealthy constituents may not care that much in the end about what happens to Obamacare because they already have insurance, those constituents really, really care about what happens to their tax bills or what happens to their home values. And so they will be they know they will be held responsible if people in the Hamptons or <laughs> if people in Chappaqua end up getting the short end of the stick. So what's next in this process? The House has put out their proposal. Does this, is the Senate going to put out a separate proposal and they're just going to sort of hash out differences? Or is this going to be a situation where the House passes something and the Senate just adopts what the House passes and passes it and they kind of move forward? I think that's a tricky question. Um, but in the end, my guess is the Senate is just going to end up crafting its own bills because they have their own particular priorities. They're different from the House's. They have their own very slim margin. You know, they only have their 52 senators. Uh, they can't afford to lose many. And already you hear guys like Marco Rubio making noise about how he's disappointed about how the House deals with the child tax credit, for instance. Um, he would like to see that much higher and is willing to make us think about it. So um, my guess is the Senate is going to have to produce its own bill and then question then becomes, do they try to jam that down the House's throat or do they come to some kind of compromise or does the whole thing just, you know, skid off the rails like healthcare did? Right. And the, I mean, the thing I keep on sort of paying attention to as far as the political prospects, it's just that one of the things that made Obamacare appeal a much harder lift was that President Trump just was not that engaged in the process and didn't seem to be all that interested in trying to sell the bill to the public, and that seems to be repeating itself here to say nothing of uh, FBI investigations and assorted scandals and so on and so forth. So part of me, I, there are, I think there are a lot of obstacles to this bill getting passed, but one of them un undoubtedly is just the fact that the president is just not in the game when it comes to policy. That's a handicap. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, he's he's in the game on, you know, marketing, man. Like, he <laughs> wanted to call it Cut, 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 which I thought was a good name. I sincerely thought that was a better name than what they came up with. But <laughs> what, did, what did they come up with? It was like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is just yeah. bland, whereas Cut, Cut, Cut was, was catchy. Every, <laughs> like, everyone would have been saying that on the nightly news. But, yeah, I think that, you know, Trump knows more about taxes than he does about uh, health care. But that's a really ankle. That's a really low bar, right? Like right. <laughs> it's ankle high. And in the end, when you hear him try to wade into the specifics, he's pretty illiterate on them. I would say he doesn't understand ninety-eight percent of the nuances. 
at least judging by his public statements. Maybe in private, he's a savant. Who knows? Now, this wasn't the only economic policy news today. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the president will be announcing something major, if I, if I have that correct. Yeah. We're going to have a new Fed chair. We're going to have a new head of the Federal Reserve. Janet Yellen is not going to be reappointed, unfortunately. Um, instead, they are going to be, uh, the new Fed chair is going to be Jerome Powell. He is a current you know, member of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, foreign private equity guy, rich dude. Um, Trump likes rich dudes. And the thing about this, Powell's reputation in terms of monetary policy is that he's very similar to Yellen in a lot of ways. On regulation, he's uh, he's actually more like he's more in line with the Trump administration. He's not as severe, but he would like to roll back some of the Dodd-Frank's limits on what banks can do. But the thing that gets me about this, and it's sort of an emotional reaction, to be honest, is just, you know, Janet Yellen is by... I would say I would argue she is the most powerful woman in the world and has been for several years. It's the, the head of the Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve chair has more direct power over the U.S. and world economy than just about any other single individual. And, you know, she is being replaced by a much less qualified man. <laughs> kind of the bottom line. <laughs> Jerome Powell, like when he arrived at the Federal Reserve five years ago, he really knew nothing about. And this is according to like economists there who've gone on the record is he really knew very little about macroeconomics or um, monetary policy. He's studied hard over the last five years, and he's learned a lot. But at the same time, he has never once dissented from any of Janet Yellen's decisions, which while on the one hand, that suggests he's been a very good ally to her, it doesn't suggest that he has a lot of, he's much of a creative thinker on his own. It's We don't even know how he really much about, you know, what he would do on his own, um, other than probably try to continue what Yellen was up to. So it's just like, you, you've gone from one of the most eminently qualified, one of the one of the Fed chairs we've had, a, a very overall successful Fed chair to a dude who like just kind of checks the boxes for Trump. <laughs> and that's about it. Are there any, I mean, are, were there any concerns with Yellen's tenure at the Federal Reserve? And was, was there, is there anything that, you know, if you were trying to figure out who would be a better person in the place that people would want to see rectified that Powell might be able to might be able to do? You can like Monday morning quarterback any Fed chair, I think. And they're definitely <laughs> and plenty of people do. And she, you know, I think one criticism is that maybe she's been a little too eager to try and hike interest rates, even though she's gone about it very, very slowly and cautiously. Just her desire to do so that she th her desire to normalize uh, rates and bring them up from zero was maybe a little premature. Um, it seemed like you know, she could have done more to try some extreme measures to get inflation to hit its target. The Fed is still missing its inflation target after all these years. So maybe you could argue that she has not been dovish enough even. Um, there are some people I know who feel like the Fed has been a little bit too ad hoc and scatterbrained and it's not clear, you know, what their kind of grand plan is. That hasn't bothered me as much, but I know some people on Wall Street dislike the sense that she isn't following a strict rule book all the time about how to manage monetary policy and is kind of taking, um, you know, I guess for lack of a better phrase, making it up as she goes along. But in the end, she's, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? The economy has right. gradually healed and there have been times of near crisis in global markets like in China and such where a false move might have caused more of a panic and she's managed to avoid that. You know, so I think she, she most people think she's done a pretty good job. Again, for Trump, he is he is sort of a a perfect compromise in a way because Trump in his heart of hearts wanted to keep Yellen around for or seemed to want to keep Yellen around because of her approach to monetary policy. He sees how the markets are doing and he doesn't want to mess with a good thing he's got going there. Right. Um, 
And at the same time, he has this deregulatory agenda and just knows that Republicans in Congress do not want to have to re- like vote to reappoint uh, Yellen. And so instead, he has this option of Jerome Powell, who is a Republican and will bring a lighter touch to regulation. And so he can go with him, even though five years ago he knew jack squat about monetary policy. We have been speaking to Jordan Wiseman, Slate's senior economics correspondent. Uh, thank you, Jordan, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. And that is the show for today. If you aren't following Trumpcast on Twitter, you absolutely have to. We're on there as at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. If you're in San Francisco or Oakland or Berkeley or really anywhere in that whole region, you can see us in real life at our upcoming show in San Francisco in just a few weeks. Details and tickets are available at Slate.com slash live. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon, and today we have an assist from Dan Bloom. I'm Jamel Bowie. And thank you for listening.